Hey friends, thanks for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel today. We hope that God speaks to you in a personal, powerful way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Word of God with us. everybody doing? Doing all right today? Nice, fresh, beautiful day out there today. All pretty. All that beautiful new snow we got in the middle of March. <laughs> it's almost April, right? It'll be over. So yeah, Kaysen talked, Pastor Kaysen talked about this book. Um, we're gonna ha- we have four crews that are covering it, but we're going to be uh, covering that in our preaching. Not this, we're not preaching on this book, we're preaching on the Bible. But it covers a lot of the stuff that's in this book on identity. So we are started this new uh, series starting today. It's called Authentic Self. And uh, we are so ex- I'm really excited about this series because identity and who we are is vital. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching about it in just a second here so you'll see how important it is. But I'm, um, so if you don't have this book, I encourage you to get one. It's called Supernatural Ways of Royalty. On the cover, it says, discovering your rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of God. We've got some cool rights, and we should know them. We should know who we are, who we, who we should be, I should say, and um, who we ought to grow into. And so this book does a really good job on that, with um, taking the scriptures and showing us and um, exegeting the scriptures to, to, see, to show us who we ought to be in Christ. And we should all know that. We should become who God has called us to be and not some other person, <laughs> right? So um, get, get into this, um, read this book, get this book, join a crew uh, with this book if, you, um, if that interests you. I hope it does. Uh, it's so important to us that every year we determine what we're going to kind of cover all year in our series, and our sermons. The elders and the staff, we get together and, and kind of determine it. And this year we knew we were going to do something on identity. We have an identity crisis in America. We have an identity crisis sometimes in the church. We have an identity crisis in our own self sometimes. And so we need to speak on this subject, uh, and we're going to spend this time. And we have different series. We just got out of Y Church, you know, last few weeks. Um, but we determined that this one was probably going to be is so important that we're going to join it with crews, that we're going to preach it on the weekend and have this, this semester four crews that go through this, this uh, book. Uh, to, and it's kind of, they kind of correlate with one another. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right. So we just got out of our Why Church series. Uh, we talked about Why Church. If, if you don't know Why Church and how important church is, uh, go back and watch that on our YouTube channel or on Vimeo. We, we talked about why give, why should we give, why do we give, right? We talked about that, we clarified that. If, you, if you're still uh, convoluted about why we should give, why should we tithe, why should we do, go watch that message, it's uh, right on. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Kaysen talked about, uh, talked about a spiritual authority and how we all need to be under this protection. He talked about the shark cage, right, and how we need to be inside of it, not on the outside of it, being eaten by the sharks, uh, that, that, that protects us. And so today we are launching right now, like I said, our new series uh, called uh, Authentic Self. And I'm going to start today off with a message called New Identity. So as uh, many may have heard, I grew up 
uh, in the North Country, about uh, maybe an hour north of here, in a little town called Adams Center. And uh, I lived there from the time I was in first grade to sixth grade with my parents and my sister. And sixth grade, and we moved from there to Syracuse, actually to Camillus. And when I lived up in Adams Center, uh, it was a small town, smaller school district, and uh, that's what I knew. I, I would go around the town, I'd ride my bike around the town, I'd go to the stores and get, you know, 25 cent candy bars. They cost a lot more than that now. I'd go uh, in school, I knew most of the people. I was pretty, uh, we had track days where we'd have races, and I was one of the faster kids back then. Not anymore, I know, but back then. And so I became, you know, pretty popular uh, in that school. I had a good identity, I, I would say. And, you know, I was happy, people liked me, I liked people. <laughs> but then we moved. And I went from small town to the suburbs of Syracuse to a school, new school district in seventh grade. And how many of you know that seventh grade is already tough, even if you're not moving districts, right? Seventh and eighth grade, it's like you go in there and you talk about identity crisis, just walk into a middle school, right? They're still growing and changing, their teeth are sticking out everywhere, and some of them have braces, their hair's, you know, they're trying to figure out, they don't know how, you know, there's all kind of, they don't know how to act, they don't know how to talk, they don't know how to behave a lot, and they're still going through a lot of transitions. I have six kids, so I can kind of speak into this, right? They're kinda, they kind of go through, uh, you know, this metamorphosis change really quickly in seventh grade, and so here I am in seventh grade already, moving to a new district, no, I didn't know anybody. And so I walk into school, and sure enough, you know, I was pretty much, I went from one of the most uh, popular kids to the lowest on the totem pole. I got pushed into lockers. I got wedgies in gym class. Uh, I got made fun of. And finally, after a few weeks of this, uh, I was home crying because I just didn't fit in. And my mom was like, what's going on? You know, and stuff. And she's like, oh. You know, I, I, and you're in seventh grade, you don't really know what's going on. You don't really know how to explain a lot of things. And so I was like, Mom, I need, <laughs> I need new high tops. See, because in my mind, the cool kids, the kids that fit in, wore these certain types of shoes. I finally picked up on it. They had these high tops that stuck, they, they had tongues that stuck outside of their jeans. Their jeans were tucked into these tongues, into their high tops. And those, all those kids were not being made fun of. All those kids were pop, you know, were friendly to one another. And so I was like, I went home and I said, I need these new high tops. And my mom, who's not, you know, they're pretty frugal, uh, you know, but this time she saw her boy hurting, right? And so she went out, bought me some, we went and bought some new pony, pony <laughs> high tops. Now listen, back then I didn't even know that if you wore certain things made you cooler if you wore other things, right? I didn't, I didn't even, that never even I grew up in the country, right? I, I was, it was lucky if I just wore anything to school, right, that was uh, appropriate at all. Or, you know, we, I didn't care what I wore. I didn't care. I didn't even know that this brand was better than this brand or that, you know, if you wear this thing to school. So I didn't know any of that thing, none of that stuff. I didn't have to, I didn't identify with that at all. And I, it didn't even come into my mind until seventh grade, and this is what's happening. So I got these new high tops, tucked my jeans into to them and walked into school thinking I'm all that, right? Finally, people will like me. Finally, people will, will treat me differently, but guess what? Didn't work. Then I started, okay, wait, all these, this is a big lacrosse school, and I didn't even know what lacrosse was in seventh grade until I moved there, and 
We didn't have it up in the North Country at that time. <clears throat> so I was like, man, I, I got to learn how to play lacrosse. So I practiced and practiced and practiced. I just want to fit in. I just want to be a part. I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be a part of something. And I want to be, I want to have friends, right? I want to, and, and I, was, I went from this identity of having all these friends and, and who I am to having no friends. And so I was like, I'm going to learn how to play lacrosse. So got a lacrosse stick. Practiced on the walls, drills, drills, drills all the time. Tried to make the lacrosse team. In West Jenny, it's a very good lacrosse school. I tried out in 7th grade, and I did not make it. Tried out again in 8th grade, did not make it. <laughs> tried out again in ninth grade. Finally, the, guy, the coach says, you know, Rich, you're not quite there yet, but we'll make you the manager. So I became the manager. You think you got made fun of before you were the manager. <laughs> now I went, for, you know, and so finally I made it my 10th grade year and 11th grade, but then I broke my leg so I couldn't play. So this whole time I'm trying to find my identity. But my identity was based on if people liked me back then, right? I'm trying to figure out who I am. And I think we all can struggle and identify with what I'm talking about today, right? We want people to like us. Uh, we want to like ourselves. Sometimes we're even miserable within our own selves and think, I don't, I don't even like myself right now. You know, and so we have all this, and we've all been affected. In my case, I was affected by what other people thought of me. If the kids in my school didn't uh, made fun of me, I was affected, and it bothered me. If they liked me, I was happy. I was, my, my identity was determined by other people. And we all are affected to some degree by the culture we live in or by other people. For example, <clears throat> some of you have been through some stuff. Right? Whether you've been abandoned, or maybe you've been through divorce, or maybe uh, your, your parents were very negative towards you, that affected how, uh, your identity and how you grew up and how you thought of yourself and who you were and who you became. It determined some of the trajectory of your life. It formed some of who you are. And a lot of times it wasn't always great, right? And so... The, the question I have to you today is who gets to determine who we are? Who told you who you were? Who told you who you ought to be? And so many times in the culture that we live in, we allow others to determine who we become. We allow the things that our parents say to us, whether positive or negative, right? I know a lot of people, thank God I had great parents, but there's a lot of people that had, did not that their parents abandoned them, didn't care about them, that changed who they were. Or even worse, parents that would speak negative, like, you'll never amount to anything, or you're horrible, I can't believe you, right? Things like that that would just totally tear down kids and, and cause them to, to, to think differently, become differently, become this, this person that now always has to feel like they have to prove themselves. It affects us. The culture affects us. Where we live right now, because especially in these, this world that we live in with social media, with TikTok and Facebook, and, and you know, if I, get, if, if I don't get enough likes or if I don't get enough followers, then I'm not is who I ought to be. Or if I lose a bunch of people, oh, you know, it, we get into that whole thing again. Or, or just the content itself of what culture says we ought to be and how we ought to act and things that we should not say or should say. They're changing rapidly words that are not right to say. They're making up new cuss words. I was talking to my wife about it. Who determines what a cuss word is? Because now, since I've been an adult, they've added like five of them. I had a hard time enough sometimes not saying the other ones. Now they're putting, I can't say this word. What happened? 
right? We, they, they, the culture changes and in, in, in the identity and who we are, who, we allowed, who are we allowed to be. But I want to just propose to you today that, and ask this question again, I guess, is who gets to determine who you are? Who do you allow to speak into your life to cause you to become who you have already become? Or who are you going to be in the future? Do you allow the thoughts of negativity from the past determine who you are? Right? I told you the story before that when I used to lead worship, somebody said, hey, don't quit your day job. <laughs> Whenever I used to lead worship. And it really affected me and it caused me to be more timid in my uh, singing out in worship. Right? Because I, I allowed this guy to speak something negative into my life. I allowed to list, to hear it. And these things affected me. I know they affect all of us. But we get to determine who really, truly affects us or not. The Bible says uh, to guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Out of your heart flows everything. And so it says guard it. Don't allow things in that shouldn't be there. Who are you allowing to determine who you are? Who are you listening to? Who told you that you can't do that? Who told you that this is what you should become when it's not? Who, who identified what love is to you? Who determines who you are and who you ought to become? And why does this even matter? Why is, Pastor Rich, why are you talking about this? Why does, what, what, what does this matter to you? You know, I've pastored 30, over 30 years now, mostly as a youth pastor. And I've seen way too many times where people were like, oh, I, I, if, I, if I do this, then I'll be happy. Uh, and, if I, and, and, and it'll change from season to season in different people's lives. Always trying to find the thing that will satisfy their very lives. If I become, and I've seen people be in a career for 20 years only to realize, man, I hate this career. Or somebody to be in this relationship for 20 years and only realize, man, I, I don't even know what love is. Or people, is anybody with me here today? This matters. This topic matters. Who we are matters. But I want to propose to you that our identity should not be found in the culture or what somebody said to you even if they're good people, your identity should be found in Christ, in Jesus, and who he says you are. And doesn't this make sense? Since God is the creator of all things, creator of the world, creator of joy and peace and love, isn't, and he is joy, peace, and love, shouldn't he be the one that most knows who we should, ought to be and who he's called us to be? Do you think that when he created us, that he just created our flesh and then our soul and our mind, it can be anything it wants to be? No, he created us with a purpose, with a plan. He created us with a blueprint. And he knows who you are. He knows who you ought to be. And he knows the difference of where you are now and where you ought to be. And some of, that, some of us, that's a pretty big gap. And that's what we're going to start, that's why we're talking about this topic for the next few weeks. Our identity should found, be found in God. He should be the one that speaks into our life. He's the one that should tell us who we ought to be. He's the one that should be the one to 
to guard this heart and say, no, 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 this isn't right. This is not what I say. This may be what so-and-so says, but this is not what I say. We need to find our identity in Christ. And so I want to turn to the scriptures today. If you'll go with me, we're going to see what he says about us and how this should be determined. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, in verse 1. The writer of Ephesians, Paul, is writing this letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. And he's starting off with explaining our miserable condition. And he's very clear that we, well, I'll just read it, right? In verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in, the, in those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among the, them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So the scriptures here, is, this, is, this is a great picture of who we were. This is a great picture of how our identity used to be. And Paul is saying, hey, this is, this is how all of us used to, wants to be. He's saying, first of all, you were dead. In other words, you were separated from Christ. You were unregenerate. In other words, God is a life. He brings life. Uh, he brings joy, he brings peace, he brings happiness. He is all those things, and when you have them, you're going to be flowing, those things are going to be flowing out of you. When you don't have them, and your identity is not in him, your identity is in the things of the world. This is what the scripture is talking about. Your identity is in your transgressions. Talk, that means sins. That's in your, own, in your own ways to try to make yourself happy. You're going to be trying to do, please people. You're trying to please yourself, your flesh. You're trying to please your spouse. You're trying to, to please your children. You're trying to uh, gratify, the, the Bible says right here, the, the desires of yourself, nature, your human nature, like sex and uh, just escape, trying to escape the issues of the heart, right? I escape, I'll just watch TV so I can blank out, or I'll drink so I can blank out, or I'll do these different things just to satisfy this, to just, to do that. Has anybody been there, right? We have all been, and so Paul says, you were dead because of these things. You used to do all of these things, and in that, it led to death. All those things that I just talked about and much more, right, lead us down a path that leads to death, that leads to pain, that leads to misery, that leads to hurt. And he says, you were dead in these things in which the way you used to live. You lived and walked in a lifestyle and behavior of sin. And then he goes further, right? In, in the next verse, in verse, verse 3, it says, uh, verse 2, it says, uh, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is he talking about? You used to follow, if you look at verse 2, you guys can put it up, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, the ru and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He says, we used to follow, we used to uh, follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Does anybody want to take a crack at this one? Who, who did we used to follow? You used to follow Satan. That's what Paul is saying here. Guys, when you were trapped in that, without you even realizing it or recognizing it, none of us said, hey, I am a devil worshiper. But, but it's Paul is saying, when you used to live these things, you were following him. You weren't following Christ and Jesus. You were following the, the ruler of the air, which is the devil. 
All of us lived among them at one time. We were all there trying to gratify our cravings of the flesh and following its evil, uh, its desires and thoughts. We were bond slaves to sin. We, this, is, this is what our identity used to be. We were trapped and in bond, bound to the ways of, of ourselves, to sin. We were tied up in it. We were wrapped up in it. We were caught. We couldn't get out. Even as many times as we may have tried, sometimes we try other things to get us out that only let us deeper into it. And nothing we could do could ever get us out of it. This is who we were. This is who we become. And furthermore, because of it, we are following the prince of the air, or the devil, which the devil has spirits, has demons that, that exert themselves upon people that don't know any better. He tries to come, to, the Bible says, the enemy comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And he's out to try to ruin people's lives because he knows that God loves them so much. And I'm going, I, I'm going to take, he, the Bible says in Revelation, he's filled with anger because he knows his time is short. He knows he's going to hell one day. He's not there yet. He's going there one day, and he's going to bring as many, he's at war with, the, with God. He hates God. He hates God's people. And he's going to do whatever he can to take as many people to hell with him. Do you want me to preach the Bible? This is the Bible. And so, so we, we were once that way. At different times, he'll, he'll, he doesn't come as like, whoa, here I am, listen to me, I'm the devil. He comes and he says things slyly. Did God really say in his Bible that you shouldn't do that? Right? That's the first thing he said to humankind. He said to Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that tree? Is it, do you, is it really that bad if you sin? He'll come and say, you know, you can keep doing that because God will forgive you anyway. Only to realize that you keep tying yourself up and going down a road that leads to depravity and hurt and pain. He comes and says all kind of stuff to try to get us away from the one that loves us, to trap us, to put a divide between us. He perverts everything. He perverts love. He perverts how money should be used. He perverts success. And he perverts our identity. And those not walking with God are walking in step with Satan and his plans and schemes. That is what the scripture is talking about right here. And he says, Paul says at the beginning, as for you, and then he says, all of us were doing this. All of us used to live at one time among them. We were trapped. And by nature, it says in verse, four, uh, verse 3, by nature, we were children of wrath. We were separated of God, deserving, deserving of hell. You know, I hear sometimes when people say, we're, I'm, I'm excited about this um, other crew, the pastor crew, where we're going to be answering some hard questions. But one hard question is, why, why am I having to suffer? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I having to go through that? Thinking, I don't deserve this. When I hear people say, I don't deserve this, or this isn't fair, I think, you know, no, you're right. You really deserve to be in hell right now. Because according to the scriptures, that's what we all deserve. We live in an entitled generation that thinks that, hey, because I'm breathing uh, and, and uh, putting out my, my CO2 into your world, I, you should be blessed by that. 
just because I'm in your presence, you should be so glad. But that's not, <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the same spirit as the devil. God's spirit doesn't speak like that. He's meek and humble. And when we start having this attitude of, I'm getting off topic, I'll move on. We are by nature children of wrath. We deserve hell. God is not happy when we continue to neglect him, when we are separated from him. And so, verse 4, right? So Paul paints this horrible picture of who we once were. And then all of a sudden, in verse 4, the whole thing shifts. He says, but, here we are in this horrific condition. This is who we were, but, and then he's going to talk about but, <laughs> but God in his rich love for us. Oh no, because of God, because of his great love for us. Now, this is one, the first things I'm going to get to in a little bit about what we should identify with. That we, number one, are loved. And it's interesting here that Paul puts this adjective in here. Because it doesn't just say that God loves us. He doesn't say because of his love for us. He says because of his great love for us. How much does God love us? He loves us so much that when we used to live like this, in opposition to him, going our own way, ignoring him. And when he came and tried to rescue us and we pushed him aside and said, no, I don't want you, again and again and again, and continued to, to go this way, the Bible says that in our transgressions, in our sin, Christ died for us. That even though we were sinners deserving of this wrath, and God could easily say, you know what, I'm done with humankind, they can do it on their own. He not only not does that, like a lot of parents would if their kids continue to do that or they're, they're, if their bosses, you know, but he not only doesn't do that, he sends his son, he loved us so much that he sent his son to come die on the cross for us. He does opposite of what we would probably do. If we were in his shoes and somebody kept ignoring us and kept doing the opposite of what we asked them to do, we say, you know what, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. Why even be in this relationship? But God does the opposite, and this is what great love of God means. That when we were undeserving, when we were in darkness, when we were going our own way, that God says, you know what, I love them still. And my love for them is so great that I'm going to send my son to come and die on the cross to pay for the price of what they're doing right now. And thank God that he did. Amen? And so it goes on in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And so God comes with his love and he comes with his salvation. He says, hey, I'll make it even easier for you. You sinners, <laughs> we're sinners, guys. FYI. <laughs> in case you haven't remembered or haven't we are in this bad place he says i will all you have to do is receive and believe in what i have for you and now i'm going to take you from that and i'm going to put you in this new family and make you new 
and I'm going to bring life to you. Because remember, sin leads to death. Sin causes us to go down a road that leads to depravity. And so he pulls us up out of it and says, now I'm going to give you this new life. And he comes and not only does he do this in verse 5, makes us alive with Christ, even when we're dead, is grace by sin. And then it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, <laughs> I, th- I think, like, maybe we get too familiar with this sometimes, but I, I want to get this back to you. Like, we didn't deserve God. We deserved nothing from him. We deserved to pay for our, even our ignorance, but definitely for our disobedience. And yet, not only did he come and send his son Jesus to die for us, he came and saved us and pulled us up out of this and put us now, what, is this, what did I just read? We are now seated with Christ. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. <laughs> we went from not deserving anything with an identity that said, this is my path, this is who I am, I'm going this way, and he comes, he rescues us, he saves us by Jesus dying on the cross, and then now he does that, he picks us up and he gives us this new life, a new spirit that lives within us, and now he seats us on the same level with Christ. We are co-heirs. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for us. And Jesus, we are not Jesus. Don't ever make that mistake. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that he puts us as co-heirs with him. That, in other words, that everything that belongs to Jesus, this is what I'm saying, that everything that belongs to Jesus as God's son now belongs to us. Wait, I didn't, because, like, we didn't deserve anything. And we really deserve the wrath of God. Then he comes, sends his son, Jesus, die on us. He rescues us from our, and forgives us of our sin. And now he seats us next to Christ. And says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Not only is this amazing, you know, it's sometimes hard to fathom. There's a story, you know, of this beggar on the streets, and he, he was just really hungry and really in a bad place. And he really didn't deserve, you know, he, didn't, he really didn't feel like he deserved anything because he, he really didn't. He was just really hungry, and he just didn't have a home, and he was homeless, and... and this guy came along who was a millionaire and he said, hey, I want to give you a million dollars. And the guy's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't deserve that. I can't receive that. And the guy's like, well, I'm, I'm a billionaire and I'm going to give this money away to somebody. So if you don't want it, I'm going to give it to somebody else. And the guy's like, all right. <laughs> I guess I'll take it. And so this guy, right, gets this million dollars in the same way. This kind of our condition, we were homeless, helpless, starving, spiritually starving, blinded, 
poor, pitiful. And God comes along and says, not only will I pull you up out of that and give you all the riches of heaven, I'm going to make you co-heirs with my son. I'm going to make you seated at the right hand with my son. I don't deserve that. There's nothing that I have done or that you have done that could ever receive that or accept that or, or be able to earn that, I should say. Right? There's nothing we can do. That's why the Bible says, but because of God's great love, it is because of grace you have been saved, because of God who is rich in mercy, we are now saved. And we have been raised up from death to life. And then it goes on. It says, for his grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible says, and then if you skip down to verse 19, I don't have that up there. It talks about how now that we belong to Christ. Actually, hold on, I'll look it up. Does anybody have Ephesians 1.19? Beat me. It says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Uh, sorry, that's the wrong one. Oh, Ephesians 2. Wrong, wrong chapter. 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We went from identifying with the world and being followers, even though we wouldn't say this and or admit to it, we were following the prince of the air. We went from our identity being in how we could satisfy ourselves and what others think about us and what our flesh wanted to be pulled up out of that trap to now identifying with being co-heirs of Jesus Christ. With being put into a new household. The Bible says we were adopted. <laughs> we were adopted, sons and daughters of Christ. We were dead, but now alive. We have a new identity. We were deserving a wrath, but now we're forgiving. We were separated from God, but now we're loved. We were slaves to Satan, but now we are children of God. We have a new identity defined by God. We are loved, number one. We are seated with Christ, children of God, number two. And now we are designed for a purpose. We are his workmanship, it says, designed for a purpose. This is our identity. This is who we are. Now, you can go and live your life trying to figure out who you are, who you want to become, and who you ought to be based on what the culture says and what the world says and what your parents said or 
what you want to be. I'm my own self. Yeah. How's that going for you? Or you can receive the greatest gift that humankind has ever been given by far. To become part of God's kingdom. To go from death to life. To go from bondage to freedom. To go from, do I need to keep going? We have a new identity. And our identity should not be defined by the world or ourselves or others. It should be identified. It should be determined by this. God's word. What does God say about you? Who does God say you are? Who does God call you to be? It's really hard to do that when we're tied up in all of these things. And we don't have time to be with God or to even read this to see what we're supposed to be and who we are. Or be in a crew that would help us to do that. Or be in church that would help us to do that. Or worship Jesus that would strip off some of these things. Because you know what happens? A lot of times here we are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going down through our life and maybe a decade goes by and then all of a sudden we find ourselves tripping up in this all of a sudden again. And God holds us back if we'll let him. You know, I shared my story with you as a 7th, 8th grader. By the time I was in 11th grade, I was playing lacrosse. And then I, right after lacrosse season, or right before, oh, it was right before lacrosse season, 10th grade, I was playing. I broke my leg here at the gym at Believer's Chapel. And my identity went from, in that year, my junior year, it was all about, hey, can I be, can I fit in with all these friends? Can I be popular? Can I be liked? Will people like me? That's what my identity used to be. And then when a bunch of circumstances happened and I wasn't able to ski and I, I wasn't able to play lacrosse that year, I had, a, I had I finally, it finally got to me that God this whole time, even since I was little, had been trying to pull me out of this to define my identity into what he said I was. In my junior year of high school, I was about 16, 15, God pulled me up out of this and said, I have a plan for you. Why are you trying to live for less, better things? Why are you trying to get happiness in sports or in other people. I have a much better plan for your life. And so one day in our gymnasium, we had a conference and God said this to me, called me out and I answered. And I said, God, I am yours. I am no longer gonna identify or try to find my identity in these things. I am going to try now to be co-heirs with Christ and accept what you did for me on the cross, 
to accept what you did for me because of the cross and become what you want me to be. And I said, God, I am yours. I'm no longer mine. I'm no longer others. I'm no longer what the world says or what the world wants me to be. God, I am yours. Have your way. And God put me on a new trajectory from being a, wanting to be an engineer to becoming a pastor. Not, long, not much longer after that, actually. God wants to give us a new identity in him. And so for these next few weeks, we're going to be discussing this, going a little deeper into this. God has pulled us from darkness to light, from children of wrath to children and co-heirs with Christ. Amen? Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I have, I have been living for the wrong things. I have tried to find my identity from others. You know, there's a scripture in Galatians that says, am I trying to win the approval of God or man? If I was still trying to win the approval of man, I am no longer a servant of Christ. That's for somebody. Or a few of you. Are you trying to get your identity from Christ or from people or from the world? God, I just pray, God, that you would help us to grow over these next few weeks in who we really, really are. God, we hear your word to us in Ephesians that's pulling us out of this identity crisis that our true self should be in you. God, I pray that you would forgive us for allowing ourselves to try and to prove ourselves to the world or find our, our happiness, our joy in everything else except for you. God, we ask that you forgive us. And today, God, we humbly, meekly accept that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. That you came and rescued us and pulled us out of this darkness and you put us into your marvelous light. And now we are co-heirs with Christ. God, we don't deserve any of that, but we receive it and we thank you for it. And now God, as co-heirs with Christ, as your workmen, God, we pray that you would help us stay with you, to find our identity in who we are as children of God, to find who, what does that mean to be children of God? How should that determine now how we live and how we think and how we, how we act and what we even say? God, I pray, God, that that would change, that, would, that you'd help us to continue to change and to learn to walk in this new, in this new identity. We thank you, God, for rescuing us. Continue to do your work through us. If you're here today with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed and you say, you know what, I've, I've been trapped and I can't get out. Maybe you're trapped in sin or maybe you're just been separated from God and, and you just can't, you just, this is just speaking to you and the spirit of God is moving in this place. He's, he's wanting you to like, uh, to, he's opening your eyes right now to see what I'm talking about. If that's you and you say, you know what, that's me. I want, I want God now to come. I want to receive what Jesus did for me. How do I do that? 
I want to say a prayer with you. And when we say this prayer, it would be you saying, Jesus, God, I, I receive what you did for me on the cross. And I recognize that I'm a sinner and I repent. I turn from the things I've been doing. I say, I am not going to live anymore for myself and the world. And now I am going to be not only rescued by you, but now I'm going to be co-heirs with you and you are going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Savior, my Lord, my Father. That's what I want. If that's you in this place, with everybody's eyes closed and heads, heads bowed, would you just lift your hand and say, you know what, I need that, I want that. God, I'm sorry for doing my own thing. I'm sorry for going my own way. See your hands, you can put them down. Anybody else? See your hands, you can put them down. Anybody else? Come on, I want you to say this prayer. See your hands, you can put it down. Come on, I want everybody to say this prayer with me for those that raise their hands. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Come on, mean it from your heart. God, I'm sorry for going my own way, for doing things that are wrong, for doing things that separated me from you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Come on, say it again. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I receive what you did. I receive your forgiveness. Now help me to get to know you and to learn to be a child of God. The Bible says that if you said that prayer, that all the angels in heaven are rejoicing if just one person said that prayer. Isn't that cool? When one person comes to Christ, when one person comes to him, that all the angels rejoice. I think we should rejoice too. Come on, can we give it up for those that just said that in this place? Look, over the next couple of weeks to come, we are really going to get into what does it mean and look like for us to walk and live as children of God on, over here, right? Not in the world, the flesh, but how, what does it really look like? Because here's what I believe as your pastor and even to myself. I don't think we're walking in the fullness of it. Does anybody think they are? <laughs> I'm walking in the total fullness. I know how. I think there's things that we think that God doesn't want us to think. I think there's ways that we live that are less better than how God would have us to live. I think there are blessings of being a child of God that we don't even know about because we haven't figured it out, we haven't asked. I think we are living less better in many, many ways that if we would learn what it really means to be a child of God, we'd be like, whoa, what a privilege, what an honor. And that should grow and grow and grow in our lives. And so we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks talking about this and getting into this. I'm excited. I think next week, Pastor Bethany's taking it to the next level. Then I'll be back the next couple, and Casey's going to do one. And so we're going, to, we're going to keep going on this. And simultaneously, we have crews. Four, four of them are doing this book. If, you don't, if you're in another crew already, and you're like, oh, shoot, I, I wanted to read, I wanted, you can still get this book. This book is easy to read. And it is fun to read because you're like, wow, that's what Jesus did for me. That's who I am. It's good stuff. All right? So be a part. 
God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, God, what you're doing in our lives. God, we just pray, just continue to pour out your blessings on us. God, even though we don't deserve them, we're so grateful for you. We thank you. We thank you that you love us. We are loved. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand up and worship the Lord. Thanks again for checking out this message from Believer's Chapel. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's our hope that you make today that day to call upon the name of the Lord and to give your life to Him. If you'd like to speak to a pastor, please take out your phone, text 315-444-2100, and somebody from our team will be in touch with you. Also, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, text the word Jesus to that number, 315-444-2100, and we would love to celebrate with you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.